This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon, this is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Though they registered officially in 2020, the Gibbon Conservation Society, or GCS, has been running since 2013, marking 10 years of hard work to rescue and rehabilitate gibbons in Malaysia. Gibbons are, of course, an endangered species and are threatened primarily by loss of their forest habitat, but also other factors like the illegal wildlife trade, the use of their body parts in medicines, poaching and more. Now, the group have been having some many exciting developments since we last caught up, including the historic birth of Axel, the first ever gibbon baby born at a rehabilitation project in Malaysia. And that happened just last month in July 2023. So today on the show, I'm catching up with Mariani Ramli, aka BAM, the president and founder of GCS, who started the project in 2013 with her own savings. Also with us today, Dr. Susan M. Chain. She is the co-director of the Borneo Nature Foundation International. She's the vice chair for IUC and Primate Specialist Group section on small apes. She's also an advisor for GCS and I'm sure very excited about all the developments there and we're just going to get filled in on all the work that they are doing. Welcome ladies, how are you today? Yeah. Thank you, yeah, welcome. <laughs> Thank you for, for interviewing us today. <laughs> My pleasure, always a pleasure to have you on the show, Bam, and really nice to see you again. And Susan, lovely to meet you, you know, doing wonderful, amazing work as well. Uh, I wonder if you could spend a little bit of time, you know, since we've, uh, this is our first time meeting, if you could talk to us a little bit about your role, uh, your various roles, but mainly let's talk about first the Vice Chair of the IUCN Primate Specialist Group section on small of course, yes. It's lovely to be here. It's great to be back in Malaysia. Um, the IUCN is the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. It covers everything, every species, including uh, not just animals, trees, plants. And in 2014, I think it was, it was realised that actually the gibbons were kind of being overlooked and unfortunately still are. And that maybe the IUCN is part of the primate specialist group, if we could raise some more awareness by having a section dedicated to those those gibbons. So the SSA, the section on small apes, is to support conservation of all 20 species of gibbons and not just in the countries where gibbons are found. They're found in 11 countries, but also uh, with zoos, rescue centres, wild, to try and bring everyone together to work together for conservation, for saving the singing, swinging apes. And talk to me a little bit about how you got interested in this area of research. You know, what what led you to becoming a conservationist? Um, I always wanted to be a conservationist. Um, I, through my father's job, I, I actually grew up in, in Zambia. Um, I always thought I'd end up going back to Zambia to work with primates. But, oh dear, nearly 25 years ago, <laughs> I um, went to work at a Gibbon Rehabilitation Centre, a volunteer uh, in Thailand. And... I fell in love with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I fell in love with gibbons. I realised they were being desperately overlooked compared to many other species. Their plight in the illegal uh, trade, both uh, for people keeping them as pets, but also photo props. They were being displayed as uh, a prop that you could tourists could hold in a bar. Uh, they were being given amphetamines so they would stay up at night, so they would be active and awake in the bar at night. Of course, gibbons in the wild will go... Any, any sensible gibbon will go to bed about four or five o'clock in the afternoon. These were gibbons were basically becoming drug, drug addicts. Oh so they would be active and awake so that people could have their photographs taken with them. And it was that. And I just thought, I just wanted to try and do something. I just wanted to try and help. And this incredible network of which BAM is, is, a, is a part is of people working to conserve, save gibbons, 
but to raise awareness of them as well, which is so, so important because they are very much overlooked when it comes to, um, you know, people just don't really know what they are. They are an ape. They're just a bit smaller than all the others. <laughs> as we say in Scotland, they're a wee ape. Um, but like I said, they're the singing, swinging ape. Their their song is the most beautiful of any animal, I think. And, uh, you know, their, their place in, in the culture of the countries where they're from is, is fantastic. They are... They are fantastic. Yeah. I cannot, I, I cannot <laughs> overstate how wonderful gibbons are. Yeah, and of course, you know, Bam uh, fully agrees with you, undoubtedly. Right? <laughs> um, and how did uh, how did you both come to collaborate uh, and to work together as well? I mean, how did how did that relationship first start? I think we know each other since 2013, back when I started the project, and actually Susan through the IUCN uh, emergency grant, save the gibbon grants. I think mm-hmm. help. To to uh, help fund our three f- first uh, rehabilitation enclosures. Okay. So from there we start uh, in contact, and she really helped me a lot because um, yeah, in Malaysia I don't have anyone to refer to, mm. you know, in terms of uh, rehabilitation, let alone talking about gibbons. So we be in touch until now. This is our tenth. Yeah. Tend to you together. <laughs> yes, and I am still very embarrassed that it has taken this long for me to come and visit, actually visit your site. But I am here. I promised I would come. I'm here. Wonderful. And it's, I, and I've been very fortunate enough to visit it. It is amazing. It is a spectacularly so well done, so uh, well put together. I, I brought my children to it and they can't stop talking about it. You know, they keep talking about They call it Auntie Bam's place. Uh, but, you know, they're like, can we go see Auntie Bam's place? So really, you know, a, a remarkable place. And, you know, again, you know, as being vice chair of the IUCN Primate Specialist Group, right, um, working on small apes, what are some of the unique challenges uh, and conservation priorities, right, for small apes like Gibbons? Yes, well... There are many, many challenges. I mean, one of the complexities, the big apes, so the orangutans, gorillas, chimpanzees, bonobos, none of them have the same geographic span the way that gibbons do. As I said, 20 species across 11 countries. So there are vast cultural variations and language variations uh, to to overcome human languages, not just gibbon language. to get everyone to be able to communicate and talk about the problems. And each country has slightly slightly separate uh, issues, but the overriding issues are loss of habitat and gibbons being taken out of the wild into the illegal wildlife trade, either as a pet or, as I said, a photo prop, um, or, as you mentioned earlier, also being uh, you know, parts of the gibbons being consumed for traditional medicine. Um, and I think probably one of the biggest barriers is, is, is the... We're very far behind many other species in terms of what we know about gibbons and what we know about the impact of these animals being taken out of the wild is having on those wild populations. Some species, um, well, the Hainan gibbon in particular, or from from uh, the island of Hainan off the southern coast of China, there are 37 individuals oh. in the whole world. Oh, my gosh. None in captivity, uh, only 37 in one national park. Um, that's a very extreme example. Um, but some species are in very, very small numbers in fragmented uh, populations. And because they're fragmented, by which I mean the, they're in very small patches of forest, these forest areas are not connected to each other. So the movement of gibbons as gibbons are born and will disperse, they can't move and form new groups. 
And therefore, there's problems with genetics and potential loss of genetic diversity in these very, very small populations. So a huge number of challenges. Um, and it can, I think, seem very overwhelming. Um, I am a big advocate of the fact that, yes, there's overwhelming number of challenges. And that's what the SSA is trying to do is bring together people to solve these problems. There are so many problems. We just need lots and lots and lots of different solutions. And the only way we can find those is if everybody collaborates and works together. And that's really the role of the SSA is mm -hmm. to bring people together so we can try and collectively solve problems and hopefully so that people who are working for Gibbon Conservation in any capacity, Wild Rescue Centre, whatever, don't feel alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that collaboration is so important, right? And those uh, and efforts, not just between like scientists, but also with local communities, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with uh, other researchers, of course, and organisations, right? I mean, talk to me a little bit about, you know, how you're working with all those different stakeholders uh, for, Gibbon, for Gibbon Conservation. You know, you're absolutely right. I mean, I absolutely believe that Conservation cannot happen without communities. The, the idea that local people should be excluded from conservation is, to me, nonsense. It doesn't work. It wouldn't work in the UK. It wouldn't work in Malaysia. It just it doesn't work. Bringing people together, identifying what are their challenges and barriers to supporting conservation. If they are going into a forest and extracting timber or extracting gibbons, why are they doing it? What are the drivers? And only by understanding that and working with people can we again find the solutions. Is it opportunistic? But also we need to work. Why are people buying gibbons? Um, unfortunately, since the pandemic in particular, gibbons for sale online on social media, on Facebook, uh, TikTok, Instagram, various other platforms has just rocketed. Um, oh you can literally go onto a, your Facebook account now and put in a few words and you could probably find a gibbon for sale. Um, so there's understanding all of those, that who's hunting the gibbons and why, who's selling the gibbons, but equally who's buying them? Mm. Why, why, is, why are gibbons for sale? Why it is illegal to have a gibbon as a pet in every country around the world, in every country where gibbons live, it is illegal. So why are people doing it? Why do people want it? And why is it not being prosecuted as well? And unfortunately, the sale of wildlife online is not restricted to gibbons, many, many species. And why is that not being prosecuted? Not just within the country where it's happening, but why are these social media platforms allowing this illegal activity to take place on their platforms? Mm -hmm. So, yes, a lot, a lot, a lot to deal with. So again, but working with people, raising awareness mm -hmm. is absolutely critical. And that's the thing. Everybody can be a conservationist. You don't, you know, if your primary job is something else, you can be a conservationist if you are aware of the wildlife from your own country and how it needs protected. And then tell people about it. Mm -hmm. Anyone can be a conservationist. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, uh, you know, that's why we've, you know, spoken to Bam many times as well. You know, she's been a true advocate for uh, gibbon conservation here in Malaysia. Um, and we're going to come back after this quick break, Bam, and we're going to find out some of the updates, uh, you know, that's happening over at the Gibbon Conservation Society. I'm speaking today to Dr. Susan M. Chain. She's the co-director of the Borneo Nature Foundation International. She's also the vice chair for the IUCN Primate Specialist Group section on small apes. She's also an advisor for the Gibbon Conservation Society. With us today, also Mariani Ramli, or Bam, as she's better known, the president and founder of the Gibbon Conservation Society. We'll have more talk about Gibbons after this quick break. Keep it right here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9.
Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Julia Jacobs. In the studio with me today, Mariani Ramli, the president and founder of the Gibbon Conservation Society, and also Dr. Susan M. Chain, the co-director of Borneo Nature Foundation International and the vice chair for the IUCN Primate Specialist Group section on small apes, also an advisor for GCS. Uh, we're talking about Gibbon Conservation today on the show. Uh, we never get tired of doing that. Um, so <laughs> actually, Susan, I forgot to ask you, you're here in Malaysia for a very special talk that's happening over in Sarawak this month, right? Can you tell us about that? Yes, so starting on Saturday the 19th, it's the International Primatological Society Congress. We have these big, uh, internet. it's a big international conference, happens every two years. It's the biggest one. I don't know the exact numbers. It's being co-organised by uh, Sarawak Forestry Department and the Malaysian uh, uh, Primatological Society. There will be at least a thousand people uh, turning up to this uh, this conference talking about primate conservation around the world. But most excitingly is we're running a symposium focusing on knowledge gaps for gibbon conservation. So what do we not know uh, and how can we figure out how to know it so we can better help gibbons? But excitingly, there are going to be at least 30 uh, posters and presentations all about gibbons. So many that the the gibbon sessions are actually going to take place over two days. That's so crazy. And I'm fairly certain, if I remember the the programme, there are going to be talks and representatives from every single country where gibbons live. So all 11 countries where gibbons are found are going to be represented at this uh, at this congress in Sarawak. So that's going to be very exciting. Okay, that's really exciting to hear. And Ben, will you be there as well? We will send our representative. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay, all right, okay. And, and and that's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, that's the collaboration that we were talking about before the break, isn't it? Everybody coming together and so important to identify those gaps. You know, why are those gaps there? And, you know, you, you mentioned all those questions that are still existing, right? And hopefully you can find ways to find answers to that and then, you know, lead that maybe to policy change and to more law enforcement and things like that, right? Would that be some of the... No, absolutely. Um, it, it Yes, I mean, the... I very much believe that we have to, if we're going to do conservation, it has to be based on sound science, Mm. sound research. But that research needs to have a focus so it can lead to conservation action, whether that is better understanding for rehabilitation, better protection for the wild, uh, more information regarding policy or, or information where we can inform local people. All of that. So, yes, I'm a huge advocate, science for conservation. Mm-hmm. And so because because also if it's not working, we need to understand the science behind it. So we can go back and figure out why is an action that we are taking not working and go back and figure it out and change it. Mm-hmm. Monitor and evaluate and make sure what we're doing works. If it works, carry on. Great. Keep evaluating. If it's not working, back to the drawing board and figure out some a better approach based on science. Mm-hmm. So. And- and would you have some success stories of, you know, how science has come to inform like good practices, you know, especially maybe perhaps, you know, in the context of rehabilitation, for example? Absolutely. And this is why, you know, we, with BAM and, and their centre, they follow the IUCN best practice guidelines. We put that together based on the experience of multiple different centres, again, from what worked and what didn't work. Right. And that's absolutely critical as well. But also the other thing is that these things are not set in stone, because the more we understand about the problems that gibbons have when they are taken uh, from the wild and are raised as pets, then we can understand how better to do that behavioural rehabilitation, social rehabilitation, psychological rehabilitation, um, and sharing that experience and 
to be honest, the guidelines probably need updating. So that's probably a job that I'm going to come to you, Bam, for as part of the group. But, you know, these, these animals, I will say it's reverse Tarzan. Tarzan grew up in the wilds of Africa thinking he was a chimpanzee. These gibbons have grown up thinking they're humans and mm. often they'll see another gibbon and they don't actually know that that is a member of their own species. They're very humanised and that's a huge problem, one of the many problems we have to overcome to try and give these animals the, the second chance they deserve to be a wild gibbon in the forest. Mm-hmm. And I just want to go back to BAM, of course, right? And every time we spoke about it, you know, you said you were following guidelines set by the IUCN uh, mm-hmm. group, isn't it? And that's how, of course, I, you know, you collaborated with Susan. Uh, there's been a lot of um, uh, things happening, good things happening, actually, at the rehabilitation centre, something that proves, you know, that you guys are doing it right. And that, of course, was the birth of a little baby Axel, isn't it? Uh, the first baby born at a rehabilitation project in Malaysia, of course. Can you tell us a little bit about that, that story? Yeah, um, yeah, it's... Um the whole team is uh, really excited about Excel, and um, actually, she he was born during the Hari Raya evening, <laughs> and I am really happy to watch its live streaming. How Ebony, the mother, give birth to Excel. You know the connection. How Ebony, you can see her reaction. How she suddenly feel like. Um, anxious, uh, like anxious. So it's 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 my first experience watching that live streaming of giving Gibbons giving birth. Wow. And yeah, we are so pleased. Actually, also so honored to to have our um, first royal patron, which is uh, Yang Ahmad Mulia, Tengku Arif Bendahara, Tengku Muhammad Iskandar, and he's the one that giving name to Axel, which is uh, he hoped that Axel will rock the jungle, because Axel <laughs> is uh, the vocalist of the Guns and Roses, and uh, having Susan as our biggest supporters, you know, like I said, without her we will not be able. I I think without without her we will not be able to stand until now the society. Having here, having her here to to, we requested for audit from her whether we do did this properly, still, <laughs> and we are looking forward to for the first release hopefully uh, early next by early next year for. Yeah. Excel, the Ebony and Collie. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and I want to talk about why also this is so significant, right? Because it's two rescued gibbons who have uh, reproduced, who've formed a family, right? And, and, and that is a significant, uh, that's very significant as, as well scientifically, right? Can you maybe just share why that is so with our listeners, either of you? Gibbons are, they live in a family in the wild, an adult male and female, mostly. There are, there is variation. Um, and one to three uh, offspring. So, to give a rehabilitated gibbon the best chance of going of, well, when they go back to the forest is if they can establish that really strong pair bond. That's a super positive sign. These bonds are really strong in the wild. Um, part of that bond involves the, the duet that they will sing in the morning, um, which, again, with the science, we think it's fairly certain. There's elements of that duet um, which is to communicate between the adult male and female within the group to re-establish their bond with each other. But it also communicates with other given groups around them to say, right, this is our patch of forest, this is our home, do not come in, otherwise there will be a fight. Um, so there's multiple um, purposes, meanings behind the song. So if gibbons are paired, like um, Ebony and Collie, 
this is just such an it's such a positive step for them to be able to, to to return to the wild. The fact that they are, and I'm fairly certain Bam can talk more about this, but they appear to be good being good parents. I mean, especially Ebony, I think from from what I've heard. And this again is ab- it's just such an incredibly positive thing, given the backgrounds of these animals having been taken away from their own mothers and raised as human as a pet in a human household. For them to have formed this bond, to have produced an, an infant that they are looking after so well, that's just fundamental given behaviour, sets them in very, very good stead for successfully returning to the wild. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's super exciting. Mm-hmm. And a testament to the good work that you're doing, Bab, you know, you, because uh, again, you know, both of them didn't have good growing up years, right? And they lost so much, mm-hmm. uh, you know, losing their, their family bonds and their, their mums. But of course, that's where you guys came in, right? You, you filled that, that void, right? Yes. Can you t- talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, actually, uh, when we first uh, received Ebony, she was just around eight months old and she had this uh, really stereotypic behaviour uh, severe stereotypic behavior where you know she don't want to socialize with other gibbons self-rocking like almost most of her activities during the day is self-rocking and it also affects his um, appetite her appetite and from there we start you know use different kind of approach through enrichment socialization and um, when I see Ebony back five years ago and now is so much different and you can see like it's less uh, less self-rocking now and she's so confident she's um she's just swinging around uh, the area the enclosure and i'm sure she she love her baby so much she she check on her baby <laughs> no, like, we watch at the cctv she she was checking on the baby and uh, Collie, also the father, she's, he's been kept in a small enclosure. When we got him, his muscle quite weak. When he break it, he will just fall down. Mm-hmm. But now he's a proud father. And now both Ebony and Collie wrestle, you know, playing, showing the Excel how to play. And sometimes I, I see them like they forgot they already have a child. <laughs> no, they're still playing like... like baby. Yeah. 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 And how did you know that they were the right pairing? Or, I mean, was that something that you guys sort of uh, got involved in or it just happened naturally? Yeah, actually, uh, from my... This is my own experience. It's a bit challenging to pair a Gibbons. Last time we did pair Darling and Dexter. Mm. And after one year, you know, Darling is not pregnant and Darling start being upset with Dexter. So we had to separate them. And now we pair Dexter with other Gibbons and Darling with other Gibbons. While Ebony and Collie, yes, it, it takes few months for them to start, you know, falling in love. They, they know each other in the kindergarten. <laughs> they grew up together. <laughs> and when, uh, when we started to see, like, Collie start being um, protective against Ebony... You know, and then I, then we decided to separate them mm-hmm. to give them a privacy, a special place, and yeah, it works like that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Oh God, that's such a lovely story. <laughs> and and of course, you know, now that they've had they've formed this sort of family unit, right? So that's one step closer to them uh, being returned to the wild. Am I right in saying that? Yes. One step closer. Yes. But what would yeah. the process be like? You know, for them to let's say taking these three for an example. You know, what would be what would be the signs that they are ready to be released back into the wild, if at all? So, through the guidelines and looking at, you know, Gibbons, we've got a, I suppose, a checklist really of behaviours that um, we would want to see. 
but not just behaviours we want to see, the behaviours at certain levels. So not just are they brachiating, but also that should be their main form of travel, main form of movement. Um, while it's okay for them to come down to the ground very occasionally, a wild gibbon wouldn't do that. And that, the point is we really want rehabilitated gibbons to be indistinguishable from a wild gibbon in terms of what they eat, how they behave, how they socialise, their activity, etc. They'll never be absolutely perfect. Of course, the hope is that Axel, having never been kept as a pet, that he will effectively be as close to a wild gibbon as, as, as possible, even closer than his than his parents. Um, but that that's the idea. And again, of course, once a gibbon is uh, or a gibbons are released, they absolutely, absolutely, absolutely must be monitored after release, so that um, checking on their behaviour, making sure they're adapting, making sure they're finding food. Um, because it's not just about putting them back in the wild and, again, my analogies of opening the door and saying, may the force be with you, and they walk away. <laughs> or they don't walk, they swing away. We have, I believe, a responsibility to make sure they can survive. If they're not surviving, we need to know why. And from a welfare perspective, perhaps step in. If they can't find food and they're starving, we should not leave them to starve. We need to intervene. Mm -hmm. And the only way we can know if that's happening is if they're monitored after release. And that is absolutely critical. I mean, you know, what, what BAM and, and her whole team have taken on, this is a, a, a lifelong commitment. You know, it's not just about taking the animal from the pet trade and, and doing the, re, you know, the rehabilitation process can take years sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then there's the post-release monitoring. And of course, unfortunately, it's likely that some gibbons that will be rescued will not be suitable to go back to the wild, either behaviorally or psychologically or medically. Mm -hmm. And they will need care for, the, for, for a lifetime. And gibbons can live till 50, 60 years old. So it is a, it's a lifelong commitment. Yeah. Um, but gibbons are worth it because yeah. they're amazing. <laughs> that they are, that they are. And, um, and they, do, they do mate for life as well. Am I right in saying that for gibbons? No, I'm not. Okay. Not. Yes, mostly. <laughs> mostly. Um, <laughs> the previous thinking was that gibbons are are are, are monogamous. That's not completely accurate. Okay. Um, what we say now is they're socially monogamous, as in they will live in that family unit and they will very strongly defend their territory. Mm -hmm. They're not completely sexually monogamous. If the opportunity presents, it both a male or a female gibbon in the wild will have a liaison with a gibbon from another group, but they will always return to the home group. Okay. Um, so yes, okay. they're not <laughs> totally monogamous. All right, sorry. Socially <laughs> monogamous. Yeah. Socially, not sexually. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, all right, and just uh, looking at more updates from uh, at GCS, right? I mean, there is, of course, the, uh, you know, the last time we caught up, you spoke to me about the Bornean Gibbon Rehabilitation Project, right? So Borneo Grab, um, talk to me a little bit about how that's going, you know, how is that completed? Yeah, what's happening over there? Yeah, actually, we um, we started the project January, uh, middle January, and uh, after it takes us also few months to to you know to to help the gibbons there and ensure you know they have proper nutrition and all. And for now, the gibbons looks okay. They gain weight and they started singing. Most important also, and we just got. Uh, health health result health check result and some some issues with their health and we are trying now we will start um, planning for to how to say to to help with the health check to the illness or the issue okay sure 
and yeah, it, it's not that really serious. It can be treated. Okay, all right. And mm-hmm. how many gibbons do you have in, in uh, over there? For now, there's uh, five gibbons, five funerous gibbons, gibbons okay, yeah, at right. the center. Okay, okay yeah. all right. And but of course, you know, you guys are still uh, working very hard now on both uh, on both uh, centers, of course. And I do remember you telling me you were also going uh, to to Indonesia as well and doing some work there as well, right? Yeah, uh, actually, together with uh, Susan and uh, NIUCN, we've been working together to help. The Sumatran Rescue Alliance with their gibbons there, um, advising them on how to about their husbandry, uh, data collection, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the enrichment programs for the gibbons there. Okay, all right. Because again, you know, like like Susan said, it's not just you know, okay, I'm going to rescue you and you know, I'll look after you. There's so many things that you need to, you know, there's criteria, there's lists, there's things like I remember when I visited your center, you know, you have like a um, checklist for each and every gibbon. Uh, mm-hmm. You monitor them, you know, their health, their mm-hmm. even their menstrual cycle, for example, yes. right? Or so many things that you need to take into uh, consideration. Yes. Uh, even how visitors come and see them, you know, uh, make sure you're aware wearing a mask and everything. So it's not as simple as just, hey, let me set up a centre and yeah. hey, I'll look after this yeah. this rescued gibbon. <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to, um, like, like I keep mentioning, you're here to also audit BAM among the many things that you're here to do. What are some of the criteria, you know, what are some of the things that she must hit uh, to do actual proper conservation of uh, uh, rehabilitation of gibbons here in, well, here in Malaysia or anywhere in the world for that matter? Yeah, so audit sounds very formal. I mean, it is, it is formal and this is, you know, how we through the the SSA support projects to help them follow the best practice guidelines and again these are best practice guidelines and we recognize that depending on where different centers are they might you know particularly remote ones it's going to be you know the variation in access to materials and food and things so the idea with the audit is not it is constructive criticism i suppose with my academic hat on where hopefully you go in and sort of see what's going what's being done well where the challenges are, what can be done to resolve those challenges, and if additional help is is needed. So it involves looking at everything from food preparation areas to how the team communicate with each other. For example, if there is a problem, what's the communication system to inform decision makers that there is a problem or a gibbon is sick, implementing... um, you know, protocols, getting a vet in, medical checks, as as, as Bam has mentioned, um, super important. Record keeping, all sorts of different things, which are absolutely critical to the effective management of uh, of a centre, because no one person can do this alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it is not to go in and say, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. We recognise these are incredibly challenging. Any rescue centre has an incredibly challenging time. It's to identify what those challenges are and find solutions to move forward. Um, But also as well, we're still learning about gibbon rehabilitation. So it's also to bring in new ideas, new knowledge from the different centres to make sure that these best practice guidelines remain up to date, accurate and effective for everyone to use. Okay. Uh, and Bam, you know, for you, of course, you know, this is very helpful, right? Because it helps you. Again, it's not just to sort of like criticize or say you're doing it wrong. It's all about just improvement. It's all about solutions. It's all about working together because I'm sure there's a whole network of people, uh, you know, who collaborate and make sure that things are being done right. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, like I said before, it's really important, you know, for us to have a check and balance. So we will not do this rehabilitation project like Shok Sendiri without, you know. <laughs> so it's really important for us to have an expert like Susan to come down and check uh, the work that we do 
And hopefully, hopefully, if we, when this project becomes successful, we can create a standard for wildlife rehabilitation in Malaysia, where other conservationists or people that you know open doors for more rehabilitation centers for other wildlife. So yeah, that's that's one of the purpose like, to have this kind of um, check and balance. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. right. I mean it's it's a whole process. The the, the, the rehabilitation of wildlife. In any country, it cannot take place over a couple of days. You cannot simply mm-hmm. remove an animal from being kept as a pet and a couple of days later release it back to the wild without any medical check, without checking its behaviour, without checking, without socialising it with other. Rehabilitation takes months, generally years, and it will fail if you just throw these animals back out into the wild without a proper rehabilitation, and that's anywhere wildlife centers, rescue centers, anyone doing it, and it's with any species, not just gibbons. You do it with a Scottish wildcat back home in Scotland, again, it will fail. Rehabilitation takes time and must be done properly. You can't simply just put a wild animal back when it's spent a very, very long time living with humans. Mm-hmm. So that's absolutely critical. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. also just we, we, we are trying our best to... to to start again, actually, Malaysia, past history, Malaysia is the first country that started given rehabilitation in 1975. So, and it fails. More than 90% of gibbons died at the center mm-hmm. and Sarawak. But that time, you know, we cannot blame also because there's no proper reference. And now we have the IUCN Best Practice Guidelines. And, yeah, hopefully, slowly we can build again, uh, make uh, conservation for wildlife conservation in Malaysia uh, strong, slowly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. done, done right, lah. Right. I mean, ultimately, what do you want? You want uh, to protect these animals, you want to get them back in the wild, if possible, but if not, you want to give them as the best life that they can uh, once they've been rescued, right? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. the thing is, given rehabilitation can work, but only if it's done properly. Mm-hmm. You can't just, like I said, open the cage door and and say may the force be with you and expect them to survive mm-hmm. um and yeah you, you know it is important as i said to recognize that unfortunately some gibbons will not be suitable to go yeah. back to the wild and again they need suitable appropriate care as well mm-hmm. and, and yeah and there's nothing wrong with that right it's just again identifying and seeing what you can do to give them the best life that they can absolutely yes okay all right um, and of course, um, you know, the, the work that you do is, well, it's not easy. And it's, it's again, as Susan said, you know, lifelong commitment, right? Um, mm-hmm. There are ways that the public can support the work that you guys are doing, right? You have uh, various uh, CSR sort of initiatives that, you know, we can help with. Yeah, actually, um, since we move at the new site, we have this um, uh, kelebihan where, you know, we separated the gibbons uh, with humans activities through the there's a river there mm-hmm. so we started accepting CSR's programs from companies where they come and help us plant uh, gibbon fruit trees wild fruit trees we've been planting more than 200 now wow the tree's been donated by free tree society and in the few and soon uh, forest house also coming giving us more trees where this is for long-term planning where we want to be more sustainable we want to grow our own food for the gibbons and humans and yeah we also work together with the community there with uh, for our eco edutourism program like susan said and uh, and we know you know for gcs our uh, we believe in conservation without communities involvement it fails before it starts mm. so that's why we work together with the community especially the indigenous people we we want them to 
stop hunting mm. for the wildlife, but we must give them other source of income. Yeah. So this is where we call, we teach them how to become a nature guide. And also now we're doing um, soap, handmade soap, organic soap, where, you know, they can, we can help them sell. So all those things. And, and um, people from KL can, can come and visit the area, not the gibbons, but they can hear the gibbon singing. You know, they can enjoy boat ride along the river, kayaking, and all the benefits from the, all the income from this uh, eco-editorism will go to the conservation and to the community. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Now, again, you know, it goes back to that line, right? So, you yeah. know, you get the, get the communities involved uh, and then they will also be champions, you know, of uh, yes. and, and, you know, stewards for uh, gibbon conservation in Malaysia. Um, so, you know, there is, of course, things that we can do. Like we can, you also accept uh, donations. Uh, it is a registered yes. NGO as well, right? Yes, yes. Okay. So just uh, just head to the, the website, I suppose, and, and get the information out there. Mm-hmm. Um, ladies, you know, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Um, before I let you go, Susan, I was just thinking about what, what you was saying earlier, you know, like, why is this happening, right? Why are people trying to keep gibbons as pets? You know, um, why are we, you know, there's no supply if there wasn't a demand, isn't it? So, right. Of course. Would you have any message for listeners, you know, uh, especially in terms of like, yeah, not not taking wildlife as pets, perhaps yes. as a start. Absolutely. Yes. Wildlife, are, it, it, the name is there. It's, it's wildlife. They're not pets. Primates are not pets. They don't make good pets. They should be in the wild. They should be with their own kind. Um, think of it, I suppose, like us. Like We all, I think during the pandemic, we all suffered from isolation and not being able to be in communication and contact our friends and family. You take wildlife out of the wild, you're doing the same thing to them. Please don't. Support projects like BAMS. Support wild projects. Go and see, be careful, go and support good ecotourism projects that have... You know, you shouldn't be touching wildlife in any capacity. Dolphins, whatever, nothing. Go and see it, the animals in their own habitat, in their home. Respect them, but don't have them as pets. Because mm-hmm. they're much, much, much more beautiful out in the wild. It's where they belong. It's what they need to do to be part of our, part of a healthy ecosystem. Um, and as Bam says, they're much better out in the wild, especially when the gibbons sing. It's just, it's absolutely magical. You have to get up quite early, but it is magical. <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, again, you know, going back to something you said, right, I mean, it's just available on all the social media platforms, right? So if you do see it, you can report it. You know, that's one yes. way of helping as well, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. Um, report it. Um, it is illegal. Um, so, yes, please help. As mm-hmm. I said, everyone can be a conservationist. Okay. Um, and don't forget to recycle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Susan. And Bam, you know, uh, last message for you, you know, any message you'd like to leave our listeners with? Uh, maybe a visit, an invitation to come visit you guys over in Raul. Yeah, I mean, um, I we would love, the Gibbon Conservation Society would love to you know, invite people out there for if you guys want to try our eco-editorism packages, Please uh, go to our website or our social media and contact our person in charge. And we don't really accept walk-ins to ensure the awareness will uh, well apa, disampaikan dengan yeah, betul. Yeah, the, the message is relayed properly. Yeah, right? relayed so properly. So we want to focus like in groups, like small groups. So yeah. Just you go to our website and congratulations to Juliet to become conservationist. 
small tiny part I play. I just get to speak to lovely people like you and uh, pretend I'm a conservationist. But no, it's it's wonderful the work that you're doing. And uh, so, uh, f- folks, you know, if you'd like to uh, find out more about the work that uh, GCS are doing, the Gibbon Conservation Society are doing, just uh, visit their website or you can follow them on social media. The website is gibbonconservationsociety.org. You can follow them on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. Just search for at Gibbon Conservation Society for Facebook and Instagram. And for Twitter and TikTok, it's at Gibbon Society. Susan, um, any, any way that we can keep in touch with you? Uh, maybe through social media or anything? Absolutely, yes. So the... Um SSA website, everything all about gibbons, all 20 species, is www.gibbons.asia. So nice and easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're at IUCN Gibbon on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Okay. Not yet TikTok. That's a work in progress. <laughs> That's always the tricky one, isn't it? Yes. Well, thank you so much, ladies, for joining me today. I was speaking to Dr. Susan M. Chain, uh, the co-director of the Borneo Nature Foundation International and the vice chair for the IUCN Primate Specialist Group section on small apes. She's also an advisor for the Gibbon Conservation Society and Mariani Ramli Obam, the president and founder of the Gibbon Conservation Society. If you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my slash You can also find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.